as I was preparing myself for this Good Friday, I was thinking about death, which is a train of thought that inevitably took me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 35 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But someone will say, the Apostle Paul writes, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Stop right there. I want to point something out. Some of you who study with me regularly think I made up the idea of saying, um, now I, I know what you're saying to yourself. I didn't make that up. Actually, it's a really old teaching technique. Look, it's perfectly illustrated by the Apostle Paul here, see? The teacher anticipates a logical or normal question, and then he uses that as a springboard to teach very significant truths. If you have your Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians 15. If not, you can look on the screen. Uh, let's read 35 through part of 44, uh, starting at verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Foolish one. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you're not sowing the future body, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as He wants, and each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon. Another of the stars, for one star differs from another in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. And here he breaks into poetry, which he'll do a number of times in this chapter. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown in natural body, raised a spiritual body. Stop there. On this Good Friday, that text has a few important points to drive home with us. First, death is necessary. That's right. It is necessary. It is a necessary thing. When the first humans chose sin, God introduced death. He did this in particular so they wouldn't have to live forever in a sinful state. It is one of the most compassionate things imaginable. Think about it. His ultimate creation rejects Him and chooses sin. They choose to be separate from their perfect, holy, heavenly Father. Thomas Cole shows this so well in his painting. Look, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve are right here. They were going to be so big, right? They were going to be like God, know everything God knows. And he does a beautiful job showing how tiny they are. And God very, very compassionately introduces death. Instead of leaving them small and separate forever, God gives death. And that's passed on to us along with sin. Sin is something they pass to every one of us. As humans, each of us has chosen to sin as well, right? Let's check. Okay, let's check. Raise your hand if you have ever thought, said, or done anything wrong in your life. Thought, said, or done anything wrong. Raise your hand really high. You're lying. All right. The rest of you are telling the truth. It's in that situation that God graciously brings death. Death is needed to cover Adam and Eve. Death is needed to remove them from an eternal existence with no hope for reconciliation with God. Death is not a bad thing. It is a very good thing. That's why. The last thing that we remember, uh, you know, have you noticed this? The last thing we remember about a dead or dying Christian is quite often a farce. S Scripture calls it foolish that we don't grasp the reality about death. That decayed shell of that human that you remember, that no more resembles that person in reality than, than a dry seed of wheat resembles a beautiful ripe stalk of grain. Think, think of it like this. When I was a little kid, 
I would watch the, the we had a, a creek behind our house, and parts of it moved very slowly. And in those slow-moving sections, the fish would always lay eggs. The little, the little perch and, and other fish would lay eggs. And I would, I would love coming home in the spring from school and going back and watching those, those fish eggs morph into minnows. And it was so fascinating to me. Even as a little kid, the phenotypes were totally different. The, the fish looked nothing like the egg, but they were, they were obviously connected. I will never forget the year when the little kid down the block came running back to the creek. I was already there ahead of him. He came running back to the creek after school, and he saw all the fish eggs were gone. He was like, ah, what'd you do with the eggs? Where are the eggs? What'd you do? He looked at me accusingly, and I had to explain to him that they had become something much greater. They had become something awesome. On that first Good Friday, the disciples are, are weeping. They're horrified at Jesus' death. They're gathered together. They are suffering. They're in pain and sorrow, and we can relate, can we not? Most of us have had to bid farewell to people we love. It's hard, and in that pain, it's, it's great to know that God grieves with us, but it is even better to know what the disciples of Jesus forgot, that that pain of death is temporary while the change is eternal. Listen again, verses 40 through 44. Listen to them again. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There's a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars, for one star differs from another in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown in a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Death is necessary, but death isn't the end. For those who trust God's provision of a Savior, there's new life. It, it, it shines like the sun outshining the moon. In fact, this life is like the moon. You know that? This is like a pale reflection of what is to come. We are merely seeds. We're merely eggs of what God has for us to be. Adam and Eve knew that they appear to have trusted, based on what they named their children, they appear to have trusted God's prophecy. He prophesied that he would provide a way to crush the curse of sin, to, to bring life back out of death. Death is a gift so that, so that separation from God need not be eternal. But death is only the beginning. Sean Seguin is a, uh, as a pastor whom we ordained to ministry here and, and whom we are supporting in his church planting work. I'm going to read you a letter that I got just recently uh, from Sean, and he said this. A month ago, our family found out that my father had a brain tumor. Since then, I've taken our daughter Miette to visit him in Houston as much as possible. The first time we visited, he was in the hospital. The second time, he was at his house and able to speak only in short sentences. The third time was this past Monday, and he was bedridden and had no words. Miette read him a book and prayed with him. She tried to make sense of what she was seeing. Jiddo, that's what she calls my dad, couldn't hold her, hug her, or even tell her that he loved her. The most he could do was kiss her hand if she placed it against his lips. I know that everything inside of him wanted to jump out of that bed and squeeze her as tightly as he could. On the drive home, Miette asked, is God going to heal Jiddo? This was hard to answer. I said no, but I wasn't sure what else I should add in that moment. She tried to make sense of this. She asked me why God wasn't going to heal him. All I could say was, I don't know. I then proceeded to tell her that even though Jiddo won't be healed on this earth, when he gets to heaven, he will get a new body without any owies. <clears throat> then Miette became very intrigued. I went on to say, so actually, God will heal Jiddo when he gets to heaven. She asked me if he would be able to throw her in the air and if he'd be able to give her squeezies and if, she, if he'd be able to stand up again. And I said, yep, Jiddo's going to be a all better one day and we'll be there with him. All of a sudden, she had this big smile on her face and she said, aren't you so excited that Jiddo's going to heaven? 
That question moved me deeply. Miette heard about heaven and trusted that Jiddo would be better soon. While the pain we experience missing our loved ones is difficult, the reality of heaven should not only comfort us, but excite us. I have so much to learn from that little girl. He wraps up with this. That following Thursday, March the 1st at 7 p.m., Jiddo entered eternal bliss. While I will truly miss my dad, I'm excited for him. He's not in pain. He is experiencing the greatest joy any person could ever experience, enjoying God's presence. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, look at the nature of our resurrected bodies. Promise to Jiddo, promise to all other Christians. God describes our future with this four-part contrast. Uh, th- this is the kind of comparison that, that writers in Hebrew like the Apostle Paul really, really love. Death is necessary. The seed must go into the ground, and then it bursts forth in something totally new. So the metaphor readies us for powerful truth. Look, look at it. Our life now, to which we cling so fearfully, our life now is actually corrupt, dishonorable, weak, and temporal. The, the life that we have through Messiah, who cursed, who crushed the curse of sin, is the exact opposite. Look at it. It's incorruptible, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. Such great change. And it's only possible because of Messiah Jesus. Read, read, the next, read the next little section. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. And here we go to poetry again. The first man was from the earth and made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man made of dust, so are those who are made of dust. Like the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the man made of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. Here we got another contrast. It's between Adam and Jesus. Take a look. Adam is the very first person. He is, he is natural or temporal of, of the earth. Uh, he's living. He's made from dust. And all bear his image. We're all children of Adam. All right? Uh, that's by nature. Compare that with Jesus, the ultimate person. He is spiritual. He's not just alive. He's life-giving. He's from heaven. And Christians bear his image by faith. Now, here's the, here's the tough part. Modern audiences sometimes have, uh, have a hard time grasping what Paul's saying because the, the, the basic image he's using is, is not of our time. Let me explain it to you. Uh, the Roman citizens at Corinth would have understood. They knew he was referring to the family imagines. That's your fancy Latin word for the day, boys and girls. You get to say imagines on the count of three. One, two, three. Imagines. Imagines were, um, were masks or busts that were in every Roman home that represented one's ancestors. So, so when, I, when I walked into your first century Mediterranean villa, the, in one of the very first rooms, I would see this, these rows of all the masks of your ancestors. And it was considered very polite for me to stop and say, oh, my goodness, who's this? And you'd say, well, that's my great-grandfather Scipio. And I'd say, you look so much like him. That was considered very polite because it was important that you bore the image you were connected to your ancestor. Uh, let, let me illustrate. I need, a, I need a parent and a child who look a lot alike. Okay, I need a volunteer, parent and child who look a lot alike. You two look a lot like each other, okay? Parent and child who look a lot alike. All right, Aldrich, you're up. Come on. No, I'll take Annika. She looks, yeah, yeah, give me Annika. Okay, come on up here. Come on up here. All the way up here, guys. Uh, Mom, I need you to stand behind this, and if you would... Like, put your face down like it's a bust and just face out this way. Put your face right there. You come with me. All right, Annika, come here. All right, you and I 
uh, you're, you're, you own this beautiful Roman villa. Here, take my arm. You've walked me in, and, uh, and you own this beautiful villa, and you're taking me to the triclinium for dinner, okay? The triclinium's where we're going to recline and, and have our meal together. And, and along the way, you're going to walk me past your, your homogenous room, okay? Here we go. I'm so looking forward to this dinner. It's going to be awesome. I just can't wait. Oh, my goodness. Who is this? Well, that's my mom. Your mom. I would have thought it was your great-grandmother. That's, um, <laughs> sorry. Did I say that out loud? Look, look at this. You look so much alike. That's amazing. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, everybody give my hand. Give my, thank you. Give my hand. That's, that's Paul's point in our passage. We are the child. Okay, we're Annika in the illustration. We're the image bearers. And as such, we rejoice in our connection with our forebear. But, but, but look at this. Instead of just flawed people of stone, right? We're bearing the image of the one who is alive in a perfect resurrected body. Can I get a Hallelujah. Of course, that only applies to those who trust Jesus. The Bible declares that those who trust Jesus are literally, did you know this? They are literally adopted as sons into God's very family. We get to be a part of the greatest imagines possible. Pray with me about that. Let's pray. Pray together. Father, I pray for all of us who are believers in Jesus here that we, that we will be again smitten by the reality that we get to be a part of your very family. We, we become image bearers of Jesus, God the Son, because of what you've done, not because of us. And we are so grateful. I, I, don't, I don't know what to say, but just thank you. Thank you so very much. And Father, I pray for anybody, anybody studying with me tonight, that is not a believer in Jesus. They only bear the image of Adam. The, the, the contrast has no contrast for them. It's like, it's like as, as much as I enjoyed my life before I was a Christian, Lord, help them see that it's like a, it's like a monochromatic life. There's no contrast. They don't have the image of Jesus because it is, it is you're very clear on this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It is only appropriated by faith. And so I pray for these people that you will draw them to you by faith. Friend, listen, if you have never trusted Jesus, now is the time. This is a good Friday if you believe in Jesus. Let it be good for you. Trust him right now. There's no magic formula. That's for paganism. That's nonsense. It's a relationship. God Almighty loves you so much that Jesus... God the Son became human and he died on the cross of his own volition so that if you would trust him, you could have everlasting life as God's own child. Trust him right now. Believe on Jesus. If you just prayed to trust Jesus, if you have believed on him this evening, raise your hand, please. Let me, everybody else is still praying. Let me rejoice with you. Good. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Father, I pray for these believers, new and old, and I ask you to deepen us in the love you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to read the last part of tonight's text. Look at verse 50, if you would. That's where we left off. Brothers, I tell you this. 
Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. More poetry here. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. That's not only a verse for the nursery. That's real. In a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility. This mortal must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then this saying that is written will take place. And he quotes here from the Psalms and Isaiah. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? Now, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All God's people said? Amen. Three wonderful truths we've seen on this very, very good Friday. Number one, death is necessary. Without it, the great change can't occur. Number two, that change is possible because of Jesus. And number three, all who are freed from sin's penalty in Jesus, they are freed from death's sting. Those disciples did not remain sad and shaken. They discovered that Jesus had to die just as he'd said and that he, came, he will come back and he came back as the conqueror of death. Those disciples in that first Good Friday, they learned what you and I need desperately to grasp. They learned that all of our sorrows are swallowed up in victory. In fact, our change to perfect victory could occur at any time. The mystery of verse 51, you see that? Look at verse 51. It doesn't mean something hidden. The Greek word mysterion means something, it means something that has always been on the stage but never fully understood by the audience. It was always there, it just wasn't grasped by people. The truth is that of all the people who ever have and will ever trust Jesus, there's one group that is never going to face the necessary stage of death. We don't know when it's going to be, but there is one group that is going to be caught up in Jesus' kingdom plan and they're going to get glorified bodies without having to go through death. And when that occurs, all Christians are going to be seen in our creature perfection. Both for, those, both for those who have died and those still alive, there's going to be no sting in death. That's what inspired Wallace Willis to write a marvelous reminder. Do you know about Wallace Willis? He's of my tribe. He's a Choctaw Indian. He was also a freed slave. And he was so moved by this passage, by the mystery, that he wrote this song. Sing, sing it with me. You probably know it. Sing it with me. If not, you'll pick it up quickly. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming forth to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me. Coming forth to carry me home. I'm sometimes up and sometimes down. Coming forth to carry me home. But still my soul feels heavenly bound. Amen. Coming forth to carry me home. A little faster. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming forth to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming forth to carry me home. Beautifully done. Give yourselves a hand. Jesus, Jesus could come at any time to take us home. And because of that, because we all will be changed, death has no sting for us. Death is like a honeybee. When it stings, it dies. Dying in our place, Jesus took the sting of death. He plucked the stinger out. He arose, and death 
was defeated. Therefore, we can stand strong. One more verse, just one more. Read verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We can stand strong even though it's Friday because we know Sunday's coming. We stand strong in Jesus even though death and darkness gather all about us because we know that death itself has been defeated. We stand strong even though this life is hard because we know that Jesus' chariot is coming for us. We stand strong even though we bear the sinful image of Adam because we know this is trumped by the glorious image of Christ. I want you I want you to listen to this. It may be familiar to you, but it's still worth hearing again. Pastor S.M. Lockridge, a couple of generations ago, nailed the idea in his famous Good Friday sermon. Listen to what he said. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the world's winning, people are sinning, and evil's grinning. It's Friday, the soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross, and then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday, but let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross. Feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday. 
Jesus is buried. A soldier stands God and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. Look at verse 58. We excel in God's work because we know nothing's wasted. Because we know we're going to live forever. When you, when you are doing the work God's given you to do, you're not just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. You and I are serving eternal beings. Amen? So pray with me about that. Father, we take just a moment here and we pray for all those eternal beings around us who need the hope within us. We pray that we are ready to make a defense for the hope that is within us. That you give us the victory through Jesus Christ. Even death has lost its sting for us. We know how attractive that is. And we pray that it will draw people to you. We pray that it will help us draw people here even this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen.